Thank you for downloading Season 3, Episode 11 of The Fix, giving you education, solutions, and troubleshooting for the baseball pitcher, featuring pitching motion troubleshooter Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish, founder of FixingPitchers.com. Now, without further ado, let's get going. Angel, welcome back. And, uh, you know, I have, I have to start the podcast this week with um, Stephen Matz. And it's not because he's a Met and not because we've always been talking about the New York Mets for the seemingly the entire season. But uh, unfortunately, Mets pitcher Stephen Matz just went on the disabled list with um, what's been termed a mild shoulder strain. And if anyone who has been listening to our podcast can go back and remember one of the podcasts that we did back in mid-July, we were talking about bone spurs in the elbow. And what you told us was that a bone spur in the elbow is probably going to lead to a shoulder problem. And unfortunately, that's exactly the course of action that went on with uh, with Stephen Matz here. So, um, you know, I, it's... I'm not happy that Steven Matz is hurt. In fact, it's it's killing me inside because he's a he's a local kid here in uh, Long Island, New York, and it really bothers me that that he's having all these issues. But at the same time, it kind of shows you that I mean, you're kind of a genius, Angel. You know, and and you're <laughs> and, that's uh, cool. Thank you, know, you Joe. <laughs> you know, I'm reading a lot of articles about this whole issue with with Steven Matson, and every single one of them, you know, they're they're saying, oh, you know, the 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 shoulder problem is completely new; it's completely separate; it has nothing to do with the elbow issue. Uh, you know, it's it's a completely separate injury; it has nothing to do with the elbow. And in fact, the Mets went to great lengths to make sure that Steven Matz, while pitching with the uh, with the bone spur in his elbow, that he continued to use the exact same mechanics even after they found out about the bone spur. And, and I, you know, I, they even use this thing called TrackMan technology, which I, I guess is, has something to do with, I don't know, so, something with video or whatever. I don't know anything about it, but apparently it's some cutting edge technology that they've been monitoring to make sure that Steven Matz is using the exact same mechanics as he did before he developed the bone spur. And I'm thinking in my head, well, if he's going to continue to use the exact same mechanics, then whatever caused the bone spur is going to eventually cause a shoulder problem. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Exactly. So. Yes. Um, the thought that, so they have a blind spot because they're trying to make sure he doesn't change his mechanics from what he looked like prior to the injury. So they weren't connecting the dot that the mechanics he used prior to the injury were con a contributing factor to the injury. Unless it's an acute injury, like you're hit with a ball or something, it's pretty safe to assume that anything that happens to your muscles or your joints is going to come from um, the mechanics. So they missed the boat on that one. Yeah, and you know... <sighs> This is the thing when when we look at what happens at the major league level as opposed to what happens at you know amateur levels. Major league teams don't really, I mean, they do care about their pitchers getting injured, but the first and foremost is performance. And Mats was pitching really, really well before the bone spur uh, was was uh, discovered. And you know they're not going to mess. You know we've talked about this before. They're not going to. Um, you know, fix what ain't broke for, for lack of a better term. And in this case, you know, this was, this was a situation where 
the Mets knew that he pitched with a certain kind of delivery and that kind of delivery, uh, you know, turned out certain kind of results that were very favorable and that they just wanted the performance above and beyond his health. So, uh, that's just, a you know, something that we want to keep in mind when, uh, we're, you know, we're talking to amateur coaches and college coaches and all the way down to little league coaches, mm-hmm. um, you know, just because a major league pitcher continues to pitch with a flaw in his mechanics doesn't mean that you should. Um, so moving right along, there, there's some other big news in major league baseball involving pitchers. Um, I just heard that Steven Strasburg has, uh, what's being termed as a, some kind of an elbow problem, elbow discomfort. Uh, apparently what he was saying was that he was having trouble with his recovery after each start. He said after the recovery after each start was starting to get a little bit more difficult. And he said, I felt like I was losing range of motion and wasn't able to get it back in between starts. And as a result, he was put on the disabled list for, for elbow soreness. And the, um, one of the TV announcers for the nationals said that, you know, he hangs around the clubhouse with the players and he, he saw Strasburg's limited range of motion around the clubhouse for the last several weeks. He said, he said, uh, you know, I've watched Steven Strasburg walk around the clubhouse and his right arm is at kind of a 45 degree angle and his left arm is perfectly straight. Mm. And I've noticed this for a couple of weeks now, never really said anything. I just thought it was a result of Tommy John surgery and that's kind of a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Steven Strasburg had Tommy John surgery. It's over two years now, right? It's mm-hmm. over two years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. he shouldn't be still swollen from that, should he? Well, he's re-aggravated something. So there's a few things that go on. So, and this is so important for coaches to hear because using your eyes, uh, you can very easily be able to detect this. So it's really important that you watch your pitchers at all times, not just for performance things, but just look at them physically. And you know, the thing I want to remind everybody about when we talk about, we talked about Mats, we're talking about Strasburg, the gift of that we're getting from these injuries is that we can discuss it and we can give you sort of the red flags so that we can take from their injuries the information to learn from it. I think we, you know, I've said a million times, the major leagues is a business. The fact that they're not changing their pitchers or not trying to fix this, it's not really, I think we're past the point where we're surprised by it. But that doesn't mean that we can't take the information that we get from these professional pitchers. And right now at the level of high school and college, take this information, start to do some preventative stuff, start to do early intervention stuff, and then really move forward so that we're using what's happening with them as material. And when you see a a pitcher, let's say he's had, had surgery or he hasn't, if you see a pitcher that cannot straighten out his pitching arm, that is called a flexion contracture. And you have a flexion contracture easily after you have UCL surgery. No, excuse me. You can sometimes get that contracture after surgery because there is inflammation in there. When there is inflammation, usually you will be unable. It's actually a sign of a UCL damage. The pitcher who blows out his UCL in a pitch, he won't be able to straighten his arm, and he'll complain about it, and then he'll end up at the doctor, and they'll find out he has a tear. If he can't straighten his arm, it's usually because of inflammation. But what happens is a pitcher, even if he hasn't torn it, can become 
so tight in the biceps muscle, which is the flexor of the arm, that the bicep starts to shorten and it pulls the forearm towards the upper arm because it inserts down onto the forearm. And then you have an arm that looks bent all the time. So it can be the precursor to tearing the UCL. But in either case, let's face it, you you know, if you can't close your car door, you're going to go get it fixed right away. You don't walk around with an arm that you can't straighten. Also, once you start to have that problem, you start to get problems in the forearm. And as we know, the forearm tightness will contribute to the UCL issue. So he's running the risk with this kind of symptomatology to actually end up with another UCL tear or a problem because, you know, when they fix it, you've got a you've got an area in there that's had an assault on it. So you've got to protect it. And these things should not happen. Now, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that Stephen has not been telling the truth. I'm thinking that Stephen has been doing what pitchers do because they're men protecting their job. I'm feeling like this range of motion problem was a signal and something was starting to happen. And I have no idea. I haven't seen him pitch lately. but But it doesn't matter about his mechanics. What it matters about is if he's doing anything that starts to invade on a level of tightness or soreness, you have to get on top of it right away. If he's so bad to hear you tell me that this that he's contracted to 45 degrees uh, away from straightness that is not a little elbow contracture that's serious so this didn't just happen it may have just happened that he contracted that much but he's had some other symptom that would cause that so what we can learn from this is if you ignore tightness in the biceps or you ignore soreness in the forearm or anywhere in the elbow this can be the next level of what happens when you ignore it. So the shorter arm syndrome, the bent arm syndrome is common in pitching. We have to watch out for it. So what's what he has to do, and, and by the way, the UCL itself, you know, the UCL, the ligaments keep the bones together. If it changes its length in any way because it stretches out or it's sprained, it will change the way the bones move and the muscles lay over the bones and they have attachments on the upper and lower arm bone, most most of the muscles that we're talking about. And so you're not going to get that easy breezy sort of movement when you straighten and bend your arm because something's altered with the bones that are underneath the tissue. And so the tissue starts to, uh, to, to let's say, it, it starts to argue with you. You've got a tissue that's long enough to straighten but the bones won't straighten, and then the tissue accommodates that uh, altered length. So this is a serious problem for him. And the way that you deal with this before it gets bad is that you always, always, always train your triceps as a pitcher and make sure that you're releasing your arm at the end of the pitching motion because those two things, not having a strong tricep, which is the extensor of the arm, 
and not having a correct finish where you're aggravating the bicep at the most, I mean, it's the only place you aggravate the bicep, will cause the arm to go into a contracture. So these two things are things he should have been doing all along. And I can tell you, when I work with pitchers in the gym after Tommy John surgery, and I have one right now that I'm thinking about, and he's in off-season training with me, and I got him back after the surgery. He had a great great time. I have to constantly remind him to straighten his arm fully during exercises because he his tendency will be not to, and that's because the nervous system remembers that injury, and it almost has a protective mechanism that you kind of have to be, you have to make sure you don't allow that. In other words, you're retraining that elbow that was injured to really be safe enough to operate at full length. So I'm going to say that something has been going on and it's reached this peak, but this is not good in the degree of that contracture. So for everybody from now on, in addition to watching your pitcher, if he's throwing strikes, watching him for, you know, is he, is his velocity going up and down? Look at him when he comes off the mound. How do his arms look? And you don't have to be a genius to be able to see if an arm can't straighten or not. And just with a few words asking him about it, and if he says, oh, yeah, I've been having this problem, it won't straighten, uh, would be a great time to say, hey, you know what? Go to a trainer because you can get that leveled out instantly. Because remember, with every pitcher and every injury, or every pitcher and every type of soreness, remember this, there was a moment prior to when he realized it that he didn't have the problem. If you can find that moment when it shifts into something that's not good and you address it right then, you can return him to normal probably within three days. That's how important it is to have early intervention. So for all you coaches who are looking at your pitchers every day on the field, this is another thing you can add to your list of just trying to notice, are they okay? So Stephen, I think, has um, not not to any disrespect to him, but he's done, he does what everybody on a job does. You don't tell your boss when something's wrong. You try to deal with it. And I think it just has gone too far for him. Yeah, and I wanted to add because I just saw the news uh, earlier this morning. He he was uh, he had this problem and he was shut down over last weekend. And he just threw he just played catch on Wednesday. I don't know why he's playing catch when he's on the disabled list, but he he played catch on Wednesday, and he said that the pain that he has is not in the same place as where he had the Tommy John procedure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know if that matters one way or another. I don't know if that if that matters yeah. or. Yes, it does. Well, no, it, it, it doesn't make it any, I, I, I would, if you had said to me, where would the pain be? I would be, it, it's not, it's not on the medial elbow where he probably was feeling uh, soreness before the UCL. He's probably, it's, it's going to be somewhere related to his flexors, which have various, there are, there are four different flexors of the elbow and they in certain different places. So when you are um, having a flexion problem, he's having a flexion contracture, the flexors are not relaxing in between contractions, you're dealing with a flexor. So yes, I'm not surprised at all that he's having elbow flexion problems. UCL uh, damage occurs through the forearm wrist uh, flexors that come into the um, inside of the elbow. That's usually where that pain 
pain is. So no, this this just confirms for me. I mean, it's why he's got an elbow contracture. Yeah. yeah. So, but but in his mind, he's trying to uh, make it less serious. Yeah, and yes. and you know, following along with what you're what you're saying about how pitchers, especially at the major league level, are you know more concerned about their jobs and and you know in many cases their next contract. Uh, Yankees pitcher Nathan Eovaldi recently uh, tore his UCL, and I, I, you know, again, terrible news. And what's interesting is that he already had a Tommy John surgery when he was in high school, which was probably about probably eight or nine years ago. Um, and following along with what you just said, he said that he began to feel something unusual in his elbow while playing catch three days after a start he made on August 4th. He said, I felt like I couldn't really let my fastball go. And if I did, I felt like something bad might happen. But he went ahead and started again, took his next start without telling the Yankees of his discomfort, without telling the manager or the pitching coach. And in the first inning, he was throwing 94 miles an hour, which is a tremendous speed for most people. But for Nathan Nivaldi, who throws around 98, 99, it was a red flag. And... Uh, the pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, went out and he, he went out to the mound and he said, you know, Nathan, what's what what's going on? What's you know, is something wrong? And, and Nathan was like, no, no, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And interestingly, the pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, changed the phrasing of his question. And he said, what hurts? And Eovaldi said, you know, my elbows bothering me. And they, they pulled him out of the game and that was it. Immediately, they took him out of the game. But Unfortunately, it was a little too late because the UCL has been torn. And now he's going not only for a, a Tommy John surgery, but he also tore the flexor tendon. So that's also going uh, to, need to be. So, you know, I was just reading something you sent me and I thought that the doctor said that he had no damage. And so therefore it wasn't torn. So it's so is this recent? It actually is torn. Uh, the information I have goes back to uh, August 17th, which was a little more than a week ago. From what I understand, that the UCL is okay. torn and so is the flexor tendon. Okay, well, let's talk about something important here. I didn't know he actually tore it. So I, uh, whatever article I was reading was behind the times here. So I'm glad you pointed that out. But there's some real important things that I felt were coming. So he had, he did have, obviously, even if the article was older, uh, you know, recent but not up to date, he had originally had this problem. And he said to the doctor, the doctor, they checked him out and said, there's no, uh, there's no uh, damage. But he still had this problem in his forearm. He also mentioned a few things uh, that, uh, um, oh, you know what? I'm mixing things up. He's talking about what he's going to do in the off season. That's a little different. Yes. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. You know what? You're right. He did tear it, but what the information I have is extrapolated from his commentary about it. Oh, and yes. That's, that's what's so important. So thanks for giving me that minute to uh, get that organized. So, um so in his conversation now, yeah, yes, he's talking about this second injury, and he's yes. talking about that he's going to do some things differently. And but he had some statements to make that I want to teach about. First, yeah, let me. He said, yeah, okay, Angel. Okay, go ahead. Go Angel, ahead. Let me let me just uh, get everybody up to speed because what I did was I confused you completely because I sent you articles from this year and from last year around the same time. Okay. And last year, Nathan Eovaldi had. 
elbow issues right around the end of the season. It was it was similar time. It was around end of August. He started having some elbow discomfort, and the the Yankees immediately shut him down and they um, they sent him for an MRI. And of course, the MRI comes back clean with the with the uh, that thing that we always hear: no structural damage. But the Yankees felt like, you know what, let's shut him down for the rest of the year because he's had elbow issues in the past. And he's, you know, even though he's a very important pitcher, we can't take any chances. You know, he's got a big future ahead of him. So he got shut down. And after the season, instead of um, shutting it down for, you know, a couple months or taking a few weeks off, he started his throwing program right away. And he started doing a uh, strengthening program. And even though it was his elbow that was bothering him at the end of the year, Eovaldi decided on his own to start doing uh, shoulder strengthening exercises that he had not done before because he felt like if he could build up his shoulder, that would help his elbow. So now I think now that we've got everyone uh, caught up to the confusion that I led you into, I think you can take it from here. Okay. And, And where is he actually at right now? Right now, he's he's got a torn UCL. He's he's finished for the season and probably for next season, and he has to have okay. his flexor tendon uh, okay. repaired as well. So what we're saying is some of the deductions he had made about and some of the comments he had made about how he was going to handle this to improve things, he, was, he didn't have 100% correct thinking on some of the things, so he's gotten himself back into the same mess again. Yeah. And, so, and I saw those things that he said that I said to myself, I wish that he was thinking in a broader way. So first of all, the things that he did and said – that made me think this is a guy who's really trying to protect himself, but yes. he's not been educated enough to know what to look at. So first I want to talk about he made it very clear that the only thing he had done differently was that he had added a split finger fastball to his uh, repertoire. Yes, correct. And that he was sure that had nothing to do with any of the forearm issues that he was having, that he had had. Right. Yeah, he said he said it had something to do with him having a very large hand and that because yes. he has such big hands, he doesn't it, choke it. And, yeah. That's ridiculous. He doesn't understand. So here's the thing. First of all, this is not anything against a split finger. You, if anybody listens to me, they know that I believe all the pitches are great. I think they're amazing. But if you're going to throw a certain type of pitch, you have to understand the implications on your anatomy, the effect it's going to have on your arm. And then when you come off the mound, just like you take care of your shoulder, you take care of your forearm. So the split finger spreads the fingers out, thus the term split. The bigger the hand, well, he did make the comment his fingers aren't that spread apart, but it wouldn't be a split finger if they weren't split. Whenever you have a hand that has the fingers not close together, you have a wrist that is what we would call more unstable. So, for example, when you pick up your grocery bag, if you picked up a shovel, Anything you go to do to grip, you're going to have a very tight, closed fist, and your fingers will be together. If your fingers are spread apart, like they might be when you open a really big jar, 
the jars that have the bigger top on them, like for a woman, I can't get my hand around some jars. That is, and it's because my fingers are spread out trying to get my hand on top of the jar. If the jar top is small and my fingers are together, I'm much stronger. So there's more instability in the wrist when your fingers are spread apart. It doesn't matter what pitch you're throwing. So you need to be aware of that. Secondly, whenever you have a pitch that involves anything with the forearm, the split finger or anything at all that involves spread fingers, if there is any forearm rotation going on that a pitcher might use in 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 his uh, pitch, that rotation happens at a different degree of speed because the other thing is when your fingers are spread apart, your forearm is actually freed up to move a little bit faster. So any pitch where, and I don't know pitches, uh, all the pitches well enough to know, but if you have any rotation in the forearm and you have fingers apart, you're going to have extra stresses. So whenever a pitcher has an injury to his elbow, the first question you have to ask the pitcher that I ask, in fact, I ask this before a pitcher comes to see me. This is like you know, looking at someone and noticing if they have brown hair or blonde hair, you do that automatically. With a pitcher, you have to know what he's throwing. You have to know every, and and when they say change up, I have to say what type, because without knowing that, I have no idea, no idea of what kind of stresses he has on his arm. And if he lists eight pitches to me, that's different than a guy who says, oh, I throw a fastball and a change up. There's no judgment to it. It's just part of the information. So that was the first thing he did. And the second thing he said is he was going to stop throwing so many sides. I think that was genius. He already knew that he was pitching and throwing too much. The problem is, is that unless he actually said, I've got to calculate my recovery days, he wasn't getting recovered. And the fact that he would say that he was going to reduce the number of sides in between starts tells me that as a pitcher, intuitively, he knew that he wasn't fresh when he was taking the mound in between starts. And even though he may have been fresher because he didn't do a soft side maybe two days later and he waited three or four days, he was still not a recovered pitcher. So he had an intuitive feeling about the amount of pitching he was doing. He also had a pitch that he had just added, and I believe that those are part of the contributing factors that, um, uh, and he did question, he did say the other thing he did differently um, was that he started training immediately in the off season. Well, you uh, you should start training immediately in the off season. So I don't feel that was an error that led to this. But uh, not having early intervention and not recognizing when there's a problem. And again, I believe what we're seeing is exactly what we saw in Strasburg. And we know we've seen this in all the guys who are currently trying to pitch through injuries. They are in a business. The business is performance. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're going to pitch with injuries. They don't want to lose their job. They're hoping for the best. They have developed the blind spots that they need to push them through. So the take-home message from these guys is not let's not let their injuries be in vain. Let's every father and every coach and anybody who works or is around a pitcher to be aware of what can happen when you get to that level. So before they get to the major leagues, 
let's do our jobs and let's take care of these guys because I don't care who they are, they're going to all act the same way once they get there. And who doesn't try to preserve their job? There isn't one of us that doesn't try to do that. So that's the take-home message from this. And yes, this is a heartbreaker. So is it with Strasbourg. And the Strasbourg thing, I think, will get worse. And Evaldi, we're going to hope that this doesn't lead into a whole other series of not uh, you know, seeing the forest for the trees. Yeah, and you know, to your point, Eovaldi, you know, he's 26, 27-year-old guy and uh this year he was really pitching for a contract. His uh I I think that his this is this is the the end of his Yankee contract. Uh if he had pitched well this year, I think they had an option to pick him up for another year. But um I you know, this this is why major leaguers do this. You know, it's if if he didn't finish the season, you know, have a great year, he might not have a job next year. At least he wouldn't, you know, get the the big kind of money that he would would, would hope to get. And I, you know, this is this is what pitchers do at the major league level. They're going to push themselves through, and like you said, they're just going to hope and wish and pray, and it doesn't always work out well. Um, so you know, again, my uh, condolences go out to Yovaldi. He's he's going to miss all of the rest of this year. He's probably going to miss all of next year, and um, you know, we'll see what happens after that. I mean, it. Uh, you know, it's too bad that instead of doing a shoulder program, he didn't also pick up your book, uh, Engineering the Pitching Elbow, because he could have maybe, you know, prevented. I mean, right? Yes, I mean, no, serious. Seriously. Yeah. No, I, I, you're absolutely right. He was so close, yet so far away. He knew that the solution lied in. Think about the way he, his brain processes. Look at this is what's so heartbreaking. Yeah. He knew that it had something to do with when and how much he was throwing. He knew that he had to connect the dots with his arm. And he was so right on with both those things to take to train and to look at his volume. But it wasn't systematic and organized. He was so on the right track. Um, and he didn't have anybody in his life that knew better. That's what's so important, and that's why to all my audience, I thank you so much because if you're listening right now, you do know better, and you wouldn't have started listening to this podcast unless you had a sense that there was information that you needed to know so you could be better. So we're in a very special group. Those of us that are right now on this podcast are listening to it. We actually care and we want to help. And and poor these poor pitchers who don't have the information. So that's why I say let's not let them go down in vain. Let's take the lessons we're learning from them and let's turn more pitchers into the major leagues that know how to take care of themselves so they can act secretly as independent contractors, do their job and stay on top of their game uh, in more than just one way. And I think that's what the take-home message from these stories is. And this is a really sad thing to be happening to these two great pitchers. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, like we always say, the pitcher does need to take responsibility for himself. And that's that's really what Uvalde was trying to do. And yeah. like you said, he just didn't have the right information. He didn't have mm-hmm. the right guidance. And so that, you know, that that happens quite a bit. Right. Um, so was that our teaching moment or do we have one coming up? No, we have something important coming up. Oh, uh, boy. 
Yeah. So uh, first, I want to thank everybody who wrote in after the last podcast. You know, our special edition, Joe, so many people contacted me about the off-season training. And of course, I was in seventh heaven because I am a proponent of pitchers taking the off-season to train hard so that they can pick up a ball at the right time, have plenty of time to work on their mechanics, and be absolutely fantastic for all you coaches that want them to be on the money when February hits so when the games start, they're ready. And I got so many emails from pitchers and coaches asking me questions, uh, saying they loved it, uh, really investigating more how they can implement it. So it was fantastic. So I wanted to to address a few things. So I want to talk about what's called priority training for pitchers. So I want to now dial in some very important things. So when you are doing your off-season training, and some pitchers have already started, and some are starting somewhere around the first or second week of September. It depends on if they're going to late uh, to early season um, showcases or if their summer ball hasn't ended yet. But in terms of getting in the gym and training and using Strasburg and Evaldi as examples, a pitcher needs to understand every single part of his body and how much or how little does pitching affect it. So there may be some body parts that need more attention than others. And if you've listened to me in the past, you know that you want to set up a great program for the whole body. You want to make sure your right side looks like your left side and vice versa. Whatever dominant arm you have, you kind of want to try to start to balance things out. You want to put on some size. You want to turn that into strength. You want to do some real solid training. But in addition to that, There are specific things that you, it's just like any other job you have. You have all these things you do, but there's a few things that are sensitive things that you want to make sure you're on top of all the time. And with a pitcher, there are what I call the magic seven muscles that if you take care of these muscles, you will go to the mound with an extra insurance policy against injury and an insurance policy that you're probably going to pitch better. And and if you are lucky enough to combine that with an improvement over mechanics, awesome. But in either case, protecting yourself with a better body and some specific muscles that are really, really in shape is very important. And what I want to do is I want to talk about seven muscles that a pitcher should not ignore. So get out your pencils and papers. And for people who don't know how to train or don't know body parts, I don't want to dummy this down too much. But what you can do is you can take these names down. Go to your strength coaches. Go to your trainers and say, what is this? Where is this? And what exercises can I do? You can Google it online and get, there's coaches across the country, strength coaches that are fantastic, that do baseball strength coaching. And yes, some of them have crazy exercises, but I think you're learning enough to be able to look at something and know if it looks insane or not, but you'll be able to come up with exercises. So the seven muscles that you want to remember 
as a pitcher for what we call priority training. So what is priority training? Well, let's say you put yourself on a workout and you're doing legs one day and back and biceps the other and chest, shoulders and triceps another. That's a normal way to go in the gym. Priority training is when you say, you know what, I'm going in the gym today and I'm focusing on this and you do that randomly and you do it intensely with maybe six seven eight exercises and then when you're done with that you go and start to pick up some muscle groups that would be a part of your regular workout always being cognizant of what you're doing as a priority part and making sure that you leave that area of your body alone and you go to something else Priority training is where you just say, today's the day I'm focusing on this. It's not something you do all the time, but you go ahead and you make a jump in your progress because obviously every muscle in your body is part of your regular workout. But to priority train means this muscle is special. And sometimes it means that you design a workout around it that's part of your general routine or you go in and you absolutely do that. And in the last two weeks in my uh, in my clinic where I train eight different pitchers that are excellent pitchers and they're in off season, we've been priority training. And the way I priority train is I go right in at that one area of the body and we stay there from a million different angles. And these guys are toast when they leave the gym, but they know they've actually made a change and in addition they've understood the role that it has in the pitching motion so one of the most important muscles uh, and and the information from research is how I can tell you that these muscles are important to train because I read research that says hey when a pitcher comes off the mound for example the anterior deltoid which is the shoulder the head of the deltoid muscle your shoulder muscle that's in the front of the shoulder the anterior deltoid is the most fatigued and then when they looked at rotator cuff muscles they said the supraspinatus which is a muscle that runs across uh, the top of the shoulder it's underneath the trapezius it's the most fatigued of the rotator cuff muscles well, with that information, you can run with it. So to priority train your anterior deltoid, the front of your shoulder, and to priority train the supraspinatus, these are important things to know and they're important things to do. And here's the other deal. You cannot train them when you're in season because they are obviously really used. And if you're sore from your workout or you're creating fatigue, then the muscle that gets used the most, well, it's not going to be 100%. So the beauty of off-season training is you don't have to hold back. So in off-season, priority train your anterior deltoid, priority train the supraspinatus, which is part of the rotator cuff. It goes without saying that you have to priority train your biceps. The biceps is the decelerator of the pitching motion. And it doesn't just mean train it. And you can't train it during the season either. And I know that if you've listened to me, you know it's because it one end attaches into the labrum. You have to be careful your biceps isn't taking a, a beating and training when you know it's got to put on the brakes for you when you pitch. In off-season, you not only build it and rebuild it to be strong, but you, de you train it in a ways that teach it how to decelerate better. And that's a specific type of training called eccentric training. And again, that's terminology that refers to training a muscle 
that knows how to have power when it's not actually contracting, but it's stretching. And again, look this up, go to your strength coach and say, coach, how do I make this exercise here a deceleration uh, exercise? Any good coach is going to be able to tell you. The next thing is, we've been talking about it all day, you've got to priority train your forearm. Your forearm, and I mean retrain it as a rotating body part. The forearm does a lot of different things. There's many muscles that cross it. But it turns the hand up and it turns the hand over. And the hand is turning partially up when you're throwing a curveball. You, you have different levels of rotation for different pitches. Those are the parts of the forearm that get lost in the range of motion, which is, of course, what Strasburg's talking about. And unless you restore that and train it to be able to do that for a full game, you cannot have a good performance that is going to be injury free. The forearm is one of the things that goes the first. They've done tons of research on this. And the forearm needs what we call power endurance training, meaning it can take lots of reps, lots of work. And that is something that you need to know. So now we've got the forearm, the biceps, then we've got the two muscles up at the top that I mentioned. So we've got four of the seven muscles handled. The other things that we want to do is we want to handle the uh, the hamstring. Now the hamstring of the lead leg, which is the extensor of the hip, we know the hamstring bends the knee, but the hamstring of the lead leg at the top attachment, the proximal attachment, which is right under the glute, this hamstring has to be strong in a stretched position, just like the biceps. So direct work has to be made on those hamstrings that emphasizes hip extension, not the knee flexion, and emphasizes eccentric work. It's one of the most important things a pitcher has to do. And by the way, baseball players need it because they're bending over all the time picking up balls off the field and they have to pick it up fast and throw it so they have to slow down their body as they reach the ball to pick it up and throw it just like a pitcher has to slow down the front leg and stop so he can pitch over the leg so eccentric training for the hamstring and of course the triceps which I mentioned earlier the triceps is of course the back of the arm and it is critical to pitchers to train their triceps because, as I mentioned, if it's strong, it can straighten the arm more efficiently. And we know from what we talked about that the biceps muscle will get tight and will shorten up the arm, especially in the case of someone like Strasburg. And the stronger the triceps are, the more they're able to resist the, the tendency of the arm to want to shorten. So those are six muscles that they should be at the top of your list for either your development of your regular program or for what I call priority training. And the last muscle on that list is a winning muscle that I want everyone to look up, figure out from what you read online how it works in the pitching motion, and I want you to start working with the serratus muscle. The serratus muscle is actually a major accelerator of the pitch. It's underneath the, it lays on the in, inside of the shoulder blade in what we would call the anterior side. 
and it wraps around the side of the body and it works as a protractor. And protraction is the position the blades are in when you deliver the ball. And when a pitcher protracts or doesn't protract, can take away or contribute to the velocity. So if I've motivated any of you to understand the serratus and learn how it works, and again, this is a conversation you want to have with a really great strength coach and say, Coach, I want to isolate the serratus. I want to protract and know how to hold on to a stretch for it. And I want to see how it works with acceleration. Please explain it to me. Please give me some exercises for it. And you will be covering all the muscles that not only keep you safe, but they're critical to good performance. And they're major players when it comes to velocity production. So there's my magic seven muscles. And by the way, on Angel Borelli Pitching, which is my Facebook page, I will provide this list written out. When I provide the link, which I always do on Facebook on Tuesday, I will put this list down at, so that you don't have to worry about remembering it. So you can consult with my, uh, with my post on Tuesday and you'll have those muscles. And that's my magic seven muscles list. Oh my goodness. That was, that may have been the most amazing uh <laughs> A list that really? we've done in three years. That was that. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're going to put all this on Facebook. I'll also uh, put put this list on fixingpitchers.com. Uh, and for those of you who don't want to go to a website, you might want to hit pause right now and rewind and get a pencil and paper and uh, re-listen to that a couple times. That was um, that was truly amazing. Thanks so much, Angel. That's uh, wow. Um. I don't know how you're going to follow that up. What else? What else could we possibly do in this episode? I mean, you. <laughs> you know, uh, well, uh, I have to stick with my commitment to your favorite. Uh, I think to the part of the podcast that you're waiting until I run out of ideas for, right? I, I thought for sure that you came <laughs> up with this list because you were going to uh, say you ran out of ideas. But um, <laughs> I'm, all right, then I, I'll. I'll Put you right on then. It's time for our location segment. So, Angel, what is our tip for this week? Well, um, I have been covering a lot of details about location because the details are, of course, important. So we've talked about where is the wrist, where is the foot, where is the this, where is the that. And everybody's been listening, and I hope that you're learning a lot. But what I want to talk about today is... There are a lot of general things that when you see them, and then you especially see it on a pitcher that has location problems, you want to pay attention to it. In other words, another way to say this is, sometimes the answer to a problem isn't in a detail or the cause of the problem with the detail is actually in a bigger part of the motion. It's something a little more general. And one of the most common errors that I see in pitching, whether it's a pitcher who has velocity or who doesn't, who has location problems or who doesn't, who has mechanics that look funky or maybe they look clean. I see this error all the time. And when you see this error in a pitcher, it is something that you have to take into consideration 
as a possible problem that could lead to one of the problems that we've talked about before with the details. Now, we've all been in situations in our life where we've either worked in companies or we've been around or maybe it's in your family and we say, boy, the right hand doesn't even know what the left hand is doing. Well, that's what I call this error. This error is when the glove arm and the pitching arm have no connection to each other. They don't know what the other one is doing. One has one timing, one has another. One's moving in one direction, one has another direction. And the two arms, which work so easily when they're synchronized and which are supposed to be moving at the same rate so that one of the arms does not take over the motion, forcing the other one to keep up with it, this issue with pitchers is the most important issue. And it happens at the beginning of the motion. And I cannot stress as a troubleshooter, I'll bet you that 99% of the errors I see are created by something that goes wrong in the first two movements of the pitching motion before the pitcher has even finished his stride. The, the leg, the knee raise, the way the hands come out of the glove cause more problems because once you start your move, you actually are initiating the entire motion and you're actually telling your brain what it is you're doing. And if your two arms don't understand their relationship, if the two arms are at a different timing, if they're going in different directions, you're going to have a problem with either the coordination of the upper body and the lower body, or you're going to have an issue with rotation because we all know that when the foot lands, we want everything to be sideways to the plate and we want everything to be aligned. We also know that when a pitcher breaks his hands, we pretty much don't want to see the ball from if you're standing behind the catcher, and we don't want to see the front side doing something so weird that it throws the back side off. Now, I think there's an inherent problem in baseball because little kids have gloves that are so big, and we've talked about this before, that they get into the habit of bending their wrist in a funny way. So the glove arm will have the most funky movements to it that you don't do anywhere in life but when you're pitching. They will bend their wrist, stick their arm up, cup the hand. I mean, I have seen every configuration of it when really all that's supposed to happen is your arm's supposed to just lift up to the side. But because they have this habit from I think it's being young and having a tiny hand with a huge glove, they bend their wrist. When you bend your wrist, your elbow changes its angle. When you have a funky angle to your wrist and your elbow, your shoulder will have a funky elbow, a funky angle. When the glove arm has a weird thing it's doing, the poor pitching arm has to, in a sense, get sort of in sync with that because even though the shoulder joints are on the sides of your body, remember, the corner of the shoulder blade makes up the corner of the shoulder joint. 
So if your blades do something weird and they do something weird when you do all kinds of weird waving things with your arms and they're above your head, your other arm will be affected because the two shoulder blades are floating on your ribs, acting like a teeter-totter. So just imagine a teeter-totter. So you do something weird to one side of it, and let's say you could bend it, the other side would have to bend in response to it. So if we want a pitching arm that comes right up, we don't see the ball, it pops right up into position, so that it can get into a great early cocking position, so that when you rotate, you end up with a great release point. If we want that, we have to make sure we don't have a glove arm that takes control of the entire motion and changes the way the motion actually ends up happening because it did something strange. The converse of that is we don't want anything going on strange with the pitching arm that'll cause the glove arm to do something funky. So if your pitching arm comes out of the glove and you do something really weird, putting it behind you or you change your wrist or hook or do anything like that, or let's say you tilt down and that arm is hanging real long, the glove arm's gonna respond to that as well. That's why you often see a glove arm that's high and a pitching arm that's low. You might see the opposite. I actually have pitching uh, pitchers that come to me, the pitching arm's too high and guess what? The glove arm's too low. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I have two guys right now I'm trying to correct that on. Hmm. So when you see two arms that do not know what the other one is doing and they're not synchronized together, the glove moves down, the hands separate, and they come up to the shoulder, and they should look fairly close together, not just in timing, but in the way they're moving until they get to the top. Then the pitching arm has other things to do. If you have that problem, you're going to have problems in the rotation and probably the way that the pitcher gets to his release, and it's going to suffer in terms of velocity or location. So when we are thinking about location which is, and deception and velocity, which are the three things we want to think about when we're looking at our pitchers to see are they pitching efficiently, just take a look at this beginning part of the motion. When you're doing your general assessment, not just the details of, gee, where is that wrist? Where is this? And I know you coaches see those things automatically. Look at the timing of his arms. And if you are fortunate enough to have film, look at it on film. You will be amazed at what you see. So the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing is, not, is a problem in pitching. And it's probably the easiest thing to notice when you're trying to deal with location. All right. Um, so I remember back a uh, pitching coach once told me a long time ago that something that you should do is have your hands mirror each other. Is that a good rule of thumb? Ooh, that was a smart pitching coach. <laughs> I love when I hear a pitching coach say something like that. Uh, y- yes, I think that might be a message. Well, here's what each coach has to always do. You have to see it and come up with the wording that is something you understand or feel so much that you can impart that to the uh, pitcher. 
But, of course, just having them stand there and raise both arms up, just say, hey, put your arms at your side. Raise them up like you're going to do a jumping jack. You will see them move at the same timing. Okay? And it's hard not to have that timing. So, yes, mirroring each other. And when they move at the same time, you are taking advantage of an innate sense of timing that a picture that everybody's body has everybody when if someone says move both arms up to shoulder height you would unless there's a problem and in fact this is how you would know there's some neurological problem unless you you're injured or something's wrong both arms will go and guess what they'll know right where shoulder height is you'll have two arms moving symmetrically the pitcher that doesn't do that is actually not taking advantage of a moment when he doesn't have to do too much work to get it done right. But I love that that pitching coach said that to you. Yeah, and uh, it resulted in a lot of strikes. I had I had good location when I pitched. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, that is, I'm so happy to hear that. And I have no doubt that there's many coaches that know how to get that job done with this. So anyway, so that's my little tip on location today. Uh, something really simple, and uh, but, but yet so important. Well, that's a great tip. And you know what? I, I think that we have to end the podcast now because it wouldn't be fair to any of our listeners to give them any more information. There's, we've already got really <laughs> close to information overload. I already feel my brain starting to leak out of my ear. Um, this was a uh, really full of really great information and uh angel i want to thank you so much for uh our conversation as always uh once again that was episode 11 season three of the fix and uh, if you want to learn more about angel and what she does with pictures you should go to her website gymscience.com g-y-m-s-c-i-e-n-c-e.com all kinds of great pitching tips uh, you know, workouts, uh, books, all kinds of things that are going to be great for the pitcher. And uh, if you want to learn more about me and what I'm doing, you can go to fixingpitchers.com. Uh, you can go to either of our websites or our Facebook pages and send us your questions. And, you know, maybe they'll pop up in a future episode. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking to you again in another two weeks or so. And in the meantime, I wish you all safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.